Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5? We have said that the book of Matthew is written to call the reader to respond to the kingdom of heaven as a disciple. Some, some scholars really believe that, the, that, that among the reasons that Matthew wrote was to, was to make this document, and it was used by many in the early church as a, like a catechism, as a, a, dis, a, a discipleship manual. Here's what it means. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what it means to follow him. So we've seen a lot of things. We've heard, the, obviously, the, the birth narrative and the, the introduction of Jesus. But now we approach <clears throat> uh, the, what is a section that's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew organizes his text into sections. Uh, there are ministry sections that describe Jesus ministering healing and deliverance to people. And then there are sections that are set aside to just uh, summarize. Uh, there are five teaching sections in the book. And the Sermon on the Mount was probably, how, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, I, I don't think you're being honest. I think more than those 18 hands that should have gone up. Okay, I've, Most people have heard that phrase, even in popular culture. If we were to say something like the Sermon on the Mount, that doesn't mean they know where it's found or what's in it or what the outline is. I had a guy at the gym, Rob, tell me the other day. He was like, I was reading in Proverbs, and he said to me, oh, Proverbs, man, I love that book. That's one of my favorite books. He said, I love that chapter 7 when it talks all about how, you know, there's no hope for us and sin is our master. But, boy, that, that, Roman, that, that, uh, that Proverbs 8 tells us about all that Jesus did. I thought, boy, bro, not only wrong book, wrong covenant. But, uh, uh, but I didn't say a word. I nodded my head and said, yeah, amen, man. That's a good word right there. But what I'm, So I'm not saying that everybody knows where the Sermon on the Mount is, but, I, but people have heard that, They've, I, they, and, they, and they probably associate it with Jesus. Like, oh, yeah, that's probably him. And so we have, we have this thing that we're wrestling with joyfully. Is as we approach these passages, we are, we are coming into, both in the world and in the church, exceedingly familiar territory. The problem with the coming into familiar territory is we tend to go like this, right? We read it quickly. Got that? Did that? I have the T-shirt, the coffee mug, the keychain, and the shoes, the sneakers. I got everything. I got every trophy and trivia thing. I've been to everything. I've got. I, I, I thought about buying little flashlights today and passing them out. But I thought, oh, I can't do it. I just can't go down that metaphoric cliche again. So what we're looking at this morning, as Jesus brings his disciples close to himself, and he's telling them what it means to be his disciple, he starts off by announcing to them how incredibly significant they are, that they are profoundly valuable to the world. And he doesn't, and what's fascinating, and I'll come back to it, but it's just so cool. He doesn't start off in the Bear with me, the subjunctive clause. He doesn't say, now, if you do this, I will do this. Or if you do this, this will be true. There's plenty of that. But what's powerful about the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I've got to watch my camera here, because if, if I walk over here, you know, people stop looking. They think that it's just a coffee cup talking. Uh, uh, um, but what's powerful is he starts off simply by stating what is true. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So he's not telling us initially, it's not even something that we do. 
See how this works in the kingdom. Oftentimes, we've got to believe what is true before we know what to do. And so Jesus just lays this profound truth upon us. Like, I'm the light, I'm the salt, I'm the light. How can that be true? It's not new to us, and it's not complex, but it is immeasurably profound. And I'm, my hope, my goal is to try to impress upon us the profundity of this passage. Wow, that was a good alliteration. Wow, that was good. I should write that down. You don't care about alliterations, but that was an accidental one. That was pretty good. Here's what it is. Verses 14 through 16 of Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. You, you should read that and do one of these. Just like, what? Are you kidding me? You are the light of the world. I'll tell you what. I don't think that there's a more profound declaration about identity than that. I mean, there's a lot of them, but not more than that. And, and, and that's the thing. We've just got to get the significance of that. And if that can get lodged in your heart today somehow, then we've been successful. You are the light of the world. Then he's, and then now he's discussing that. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand so that it gives light to the whole, all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. What does that mean? This simply means that as you follow Jesus, as you live for him, as you live like him, you are light. And once again, Jesus defines discipleship as behavior. Disciple means learner. The definition of learning is a relatively permanent change in behavior. But so, and Jesus doesn't give us the psychological definition of learning. He's, he tells us, he describes that discipleship is a matter of how I live. And here he describes that behavior as such that brings light to a dark world. Wow. You know, if you just say wow a couple times, I feel like you're getting it. Just, there, good job. Yeah. What the, yeah. You, like light, are profoundly valuable and absolutely necessary. You've got to believe that. You are, you, you are profoundly valuable. I know, I can hear it, I can hear it. Well, he, he's probably talking about Sister Saint next to me. Or Brother Board Member. No, I mean, yes. Sometimes no, <laughs> but he's, ta he's talking about you. You are profoundly valuable. You are absolutely necessary. What is light? What is light? Now, we don't have to spend as much time on this metaphor as we did salt because we all pretty much know what light is, but let's just give it consideration. What, we, what, light, what is light? Light makes reality and truth visible. Without light, we don't know what's real or what's true. My friend Bill. Thank you, Bill. Good job. Light provides instruction and guidance. Light gives hope. Without light, we don't have hope. 
Light shows light is truth. Light gives life. There is no life without light. In in scripture, light is synonymous with every kind of goodness. Every kind of purity and peace, and it is synonymous with great joy. It, light is open, it is bright, it is visible. It cannot be hidden, and it cannot be overcome. Have you ever seen a boxing match between dark and light? No, it's, it's over before it started. Darkness is helpless against light. Light cannot be beaten. But darkness, what is darkness? Dark devil. Yeah, sure, all those things. It was rhetorical. So here we go. Darkness, dark, darkness is hopelessness. It is the, darkness is the absence of light. So it's hopelessness. It is despair. It is confusion. It is fear. Darkness in Scripture is synonymous with every kind of evil and hidden wickedness and overt malevolence. Dark, see, dark is secret, but it's aggressive. Its power is in its secrecy, in deception. It hides. Darkness is very, very powerful. Darkness cannot be beaten, but... It can, and it can only be overcome by light. The world is dark. If Jesus said, you are the light of the world, then the first premise that we have to hear him assert is this, the world is dark. Just say it out loud. The world is dark. Jesus said, I mean, that's what he said. If, if you're the light of the world, that, that requires us to go, oh, wait a minute, that means the world is dark. Darkness was the condition of the world at the beginning. At creation, Genesis says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness, everybody say darkness, was over the surface of the deep. So that was the condition of the world. When, and then the, the Holy Spirit hovered over those waters. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light. Light was the first mission of heaven on earth. Where it was dark, God said, let there be light. And the God, and listen, and that is essentially, metaphorically, exactly what Jesus is saying. If he is taking you like salt and scattering you across the world to be the preservative, to promote good and prevent decay, he's also grabbing you and throwing you across the world and saying, let there be light. And here's the good news. When he says it, it happens. Let there be light, and light was. Light said, yes, sir. Anybody here willing to say, Jesus, yes, sir? God is the source of light. He is the author. Light emanates from him and reflects back to him, and it draws creation back to him. That's important because that is also our function. The condition of men's hearts are dark. They are. The condition of men's hearts, apart from Christ, the condition of the hearts of mankind is dark. That's not to say that men, that everybody is totally horrible and everybody can only do bad things. That's a, that's a double, triple depravity type of thing that we don't endorse. But it's not that there isn't a measure of grace or a, the, the, echo of, ooh, the echo of God's image in people's lives. 
that's, there's definitely the echo of, of that man created in the image of God. The echo of his image is still in there. And, 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 and even, quote, unquote, the worst of people st- can do good things. That's not the point. The point is, apart from Christ, darkness still rules in the hearts of men. Despite their best efforts, darkness still rules. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says this. So it says that even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. As, see, as long, even if men want to honor the second commandment and do good and do social justice and do nice things, as long as they are separated from right relationship with God, their hearts are darkened. It says they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Ephesians 4.18 says, being darkened in their understanding, they are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. Darkness is a matter of the heart. And if that's not bad enough, the condition of the world at first was dark, the the condition of men's hearts are dark, and here's the, don't answer yet, the world is under siege from dark powers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers, against world forces of this darkness. What does he mean by this darkness? Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Make no mistake, the resistance to the gospel, resistance to morality, a resistance to you. I, I, I talked to somebody the other day who told me, I don't understand. I go places and I just am trying to be the kindest and people that I don't even know turn around and they're spiteful to me and they say horrible things. And, I'll say, and, I, and I just try to, without being a super kook, I try to say, listen, I think what's probably happening is that you, you're, this world is under the siege of dark powers. And there's, there's going to be a, oftentimes you'll find a spiteful response to who you are and who's with you and who else is around you that the dark powers don't appreciate. And it's, no, it's no secret. It's no secret that, for instance, Mike and Carrie, Mama Ness says, well, they went from heaven, they went to this really hard place. It's no secret. A land that is rife with strife and violence and discord and, and all of that. The Bible says where there is strife, there comes every kinds of evil. They, they have partnered with violent dark forces. Now, let's, I don't want to leave it at that, but we need to recognize the world is under siege of darkness. But the mission of heaven has never changed. What was the first mission of heaven on earth? Light. How will it end? In Revelation 21 and 22, we saw that at the, with that, at the new creation, when all things have passed away, and behold, he makes all things new. At the new creation, one, a couple of things are going to be different. And in Revelation 21 and 22, John tells us, and there was no more night. Darkness was destroyed. There will come a time when darkness will be totally destroyed and only light will be. But for now, you are the light of this world. 
Jesus said, you are the only light of this world. He said that he, uh, he's, now Matthew introduces his gospel by telling us that, as, that in the ministry of Jesus, he quotes Isaiah 9, that upon a people who sat in darkness, a great light has come. That in Christ, a great light. That because of Jesus, a great, um, he calls it a mega light. A mega light has dawned. Not just your old average sunrise, but a mega light has dawned. And as because you are followers of this Christ, you are disciples of Christ, you are now carrying of his light. Jesus said, you are carriers of the very light of Christ to this world. But here's what he said. It's even more significant. You, plural, everybody say us, plural. You, plural, are the singular light. That means, once again, there is no plan B. You are plan A. There is no other plan. You are the light. Don't think that the light Calvary is going to come if we blow it. It's you. The fate of this world, Jesus has entrusted to his church. Without you, this world will remain dark. But because of you, it cannot. I'm going to go talk to Leon. Without you, this world will remain dark. But because of you, it cannot. It cannot. All right, let's talk more. You, the church, you, follower of Jesus, you make reality and truth visible. You provide instruction and guidance. You offer hope. You offer truth. You offer life. And as followers of Jesus, you are synonymous with every kind of goodness and purity and peace and great joy. I know, I know it's tempting to say, well, what do I have to do to do that? Jesus started off by just saying it was true. You are the light of the world. Then he said, verses 14 and 15, you are or you must be visible. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You can't hide. And now, people, a lot of people say, well, he must be talking about Jerusalem. He could have been because Jerusalem was on a hill and there was light and it was seen. But he literally meant cities, any city built on a hill with light, you can't hide that. And that's you. You can't be hidden. You weren't designed to be hidden. Christianity wasn't designed to be a CIA operative. It wasn't designed to be some secret special relationship just between you and Jesus that no one else can know about. That's horseradish. He said, you don't light a lamp in a house and put it under a basket. You set it on a stand so it gives light to your whole house. You are designed and destined to illuminate your house and your household and your family. And you, the church, are designed to be a city on a hill. You are the unhideable city. You are the lamp that gives light. You don't follow Jesus in secret. You don't keep this to yourself. You can't. You can't. If I don't know how to say this without being a jerk face, but if you are, you're doing it wrong. You are missing it. You can't follow Jesus. Follow Jesus without someone noticing. You can like him. You can observe him. You can appreciate him. You can study him. You can quote him, but you can't follow him without somebody noticing. 
If no one knows, if no one is affected, if no one is influenced, if there's no light coming on in your life whatsoever, I'm not saying you're not born again. Who am I to say that? You might very well probably are born again, go to heaven. Hallelujah, hope you are. But whether or not you're a disciple of Jesus, I don't know. Being a disciple is obvious. That's how the simple. You're visible. If, 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 if being a disciple of Jesus were some sort of a secret thing, then why did the early church get so persecuted? No, it's not secret. Because you are light, your life gives off light. Now, what the New Testament will do is it will repeat this idea of you are light, but, but because the, the, epistolary, the, the epistolary literature will, will help us see what that means, and it'll, it'll echo what Jesus said. But so like Paul writes in Ephesians, you formerly were darkness, but now, everybody say now, now you are light in the Lord. So it's because you belong to him, you become part of his light. But then, listen, walk as children of the light. So right away, Paul begins to associate uh, behavior with identity. But he starts with identity so that we understand how to behave. Does that make sense? Verses 11 through 13, Paul says, Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. Don't walk around in the darkness. Instead, expose them. He said it's shameful to speak of the things that people do in the dark. That's why they do them in the dark, so that no one will see. He says, but things become visible when they are exposed by the light. That means that by the way you live, your light reveals truth. The way you live exposes, by contrast, what is false, what is empty, what is corrupt. The way you live. Someone say, the way I live. Now, you don't have to wear the loudest, meanest Christian t-shirt. It's not about how loud you shout. It's really about how loud you live. Jesus, again, he defines light not by our personality or our charm, but by our behavior. He actually says, let your light shine. That's the, that's, this is verse 16, let your light shine. Everybody say it with me. Let your light shine. Now, I know everybody wants to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. All those things. Okay? He's not gonna, first of all, Satan can't blow it out, but you can hide it under a bushel. Don't do that. I need, we need to learn that song. But let your light shine. That, that, is the, that is only the second imperative in the Sermon on the Mount. The first one is in, is in uh, verse 12. It says, rejoice and be glad. That's a command. We get all the way to verse 16 before we find another command. This is something you should do. So far, he's just telling us what's true. But in verse 16, here's what you should do. And it's, and, and it, and it's, in the, it's a third-person imperative so that we have this let your light shine. It sounds passive. But it really could just be read like this. Shine. You are the light of the world. Shine. That's what he's saying. Shine your light. That's the, the wooden Greek there. Shine your, okay, the shine the light of you. That's the hardest Greek. Shine the light of you. <laughs> but shine your light. Shine. Somebody say shine. shine. You are light. 
Therefore, shine. That's the whole thing. This is who you are. This is what you do. Shine your light. Wow. That means, what do you, let, what, how am I supposed to do that? Shine my light. Am I supposed to be, should I go preach? Should I go yell? Should I go do magnificent things? Is he calling me to do complex and, and weird things? No. Here's what he says. So that men will see your good works. That's it. What? Yes. It's, being light is how you behave. And good works here is should not necessarily be understood the way it's often. It's, the, it's not like I'm going to go out and do a, you know, an, a, an acts of service thing. I'm going to go out and, you know, we're going to go all share our T-shirts and go pick up trash along the road and wave at cars. That's a nice thing to do. But he's not necessarily talking about good works in that way. That He's not even using agatha, the, that word Greek. He's using a different word that has to do with moral goodness and excellence and beauty. That which all by itself, all, a, a work self contained that is simply done in such a way that praises and blesses God. He's tell, Jesus is saying, live your life like worshipers. Live your life in purity, in devotion to God, in moral excellence. As followers of Jesus, live your life as un, back unto reflect the light of your heavenly Father, back to Him, simply by living in, in glad devout obedience to him and then he said and men will see that men will see that and they will praise your father in heaven the goal of our behavior is to draw men to God that we live these lives of moral excellence in order to draw people to God now Jesus did not say that people will see how you live here's that here's a here's a poke right here Jesus did not say they'll see your behavior and they will praise our Father. Everybody's, you know, aren't we all just children of God? No. He actually, this is actually a statement of division. Not like strife division, but to divide, like dividing light and dark. He said when men see the, your lives, your moral praiseworthy lives, they will praise your Father in heaven. Meaning your behavior doesn't, doesn't demonstrate a universal relationship with God, but a unique one. Your behavior should invite people to seek a specific, unique relationship with God because your life is that different. Your life should be as different as light is from dark. But it's not complex. It's not laborious. It's not, even, it's not super religious. It's not about lists and rules and things. It's about... Live your life with, this, with a moral excellence in loving devotion to God. Whether or not anybody notices, it's not live so that everybody checks you out. Don't wear the shirt, dig my light, check my out my light. It's not, a cons- it's not in, in being in, uh, deliberately conspicuous. It's being intentionally devout, intentionally honoring to the Lord in how you live your life. And that can be so simple and so mundane. See, you have this profound statement that you are the light of the world, but this profound statement can be lived out in the moment-by-moment mundane of your life. Being the light of the world doesn't happen at the climax of the movie. You don't just suddenly take the cloak off and shine like you're Gandalf. Throw a little bone to the geeks out there. It takes one to know one, okay? Being the light of the world happens every moment. 
that you live in devotion to God as a follower of Jesus. And that is what it means to be a disciple. Amen. Should we pray? I got I to gotta let you go. There are, there are more passages in your notes there that the New Testament talks about how to live and living and doing good. You can take a look at those. Those will nourish you. But we've, we, I think that we've landed. We've got what we need to say today. Let's stand together as we close. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that, you have, that, you, that Jesus said about us what is true. That, we can, that, you are, that you are not just inviting us but expecting us to believe this. Help us, Lord, to believe it deeply. Help us, Lord, to believe this more deeply so that we will practice it more readily. Lord, we acknowledge that our world is dark. But the hearts of men who are apart from you, there's darkness in their hearts because their hearts are hardened. We acknowledge, we recognize that our world is under the siege of dark powers. But we gladly, joyfully declare that darkness is no match for light. That the solution to the darkness in the world is the light of Jesus Christ that is stewarded, is carried, reflected by those who follow him in the moments of simple, loving obedience and worship. Father, I pray over your people. I pray that your hand would rest upon them for good. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that, that all of us in the house today would, would feel that solemn, profound identity that we are the light of the world and that we would leave this house again today and just go live like it. That we would believe that we are light and therefore shine. This I pray over our church in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody who believes it said amen. Amen. Thanks everybody for your patience. Love you big. Happy, happy April. Let's build for a great e next week's Palm Sunday. Woo! Bring a wine shirt. Get your party on.